The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going and welcome to episode 84 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod. Of course, if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hastings should be followed on the Twitter at Hastings Kevin. Kevin, I just want to thank you for making the time <laughs> to make sure we get this recording and we're recording a little early. Luckily it's off season. So we have a little bit of flexibility as far as we might mention the world series. And by the time you guys listen to this, it'll might be over or at least be in game five as we put this out on Sunday, but you're off to Arizona in a couple hours, right? Yeah. A few hours here. And I'm sorry, man. Hey. I'll just bring it up this time. Right. I, I'll just bring it up. <laughs> I'm jealous of the guys that are posting being at games today and they're only there one day earlier. going to try not to bring this up too much throughout the episode, but yeah, I can't wait. I taken the red eye because of the time difference from Hawaii land at about seven 30 in the morning and hopefully get a couple hours nap. I am in on the golf outing that Ryan Bloomfield and Casey Bubba put together and that's at noon. So a couple hour nap, is about all I'm going to get. I Hopefully need. I can crash on the plane a little bit. There you go. Yeah. It's one of those things where you always say that, right? I don't know about you, but I always say that. I'll take red eyes to, to Boston when I go back East, especially when I lived on the West coast and be like, I'll just sleep on the plane. I get Never like works an hour and a half me. if I'm lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Never works out that way. But yeah, I tweeted out today. I'm actually really looking forward to, I just want to like, it'll be too late by the time you listen to this, but keep all the posts coming. Keep all the pictures, keep all the tweets coming. I want to hear about it. I want to feel like I'm there, even though I'm not. So the more the, the more I can live vicariously through everybody else that could go to Arizona, the better I'm the better weekend I'm gonna have. So nice. keep them coming, guys. <laughs> all right. We we're gonna get into this episode. Last week we talked a lot about some guys that could repeat the breakout performance that we saw from some of the surprise breakouts. Not so much repeat, but guys who could take their place. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the guys who could take the place of the disappointments, especially those who are getting picked in the like top 100, 125 picks of drafts. We're going to talk a little bit about that later on in the episode. And 
to help us do that, we have a very special guest today. We are joined by Carlos Marcano. He should be followed on the Twitter at C.A. Marcano. You can find a link to that in the show description, of course. You can find Carlos's written work on both PitcherList.com and Baseball Prospectus. And now you can also listen to Carlos on the regular as he co-hosts along with Torres and Mike Carter on the Fantasy Baseball Beat podcast through the Triple Play Fantasy feed. We'll talk to Carlos a bit more about that later. But for now, Carlos, thank you for taking the time and joining us, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm super, super happy to be here. And actually, I'm the thankful guy that you are willing to bear with me for some time. And it, it's been always something I wanted to be with you guys because when I told Mike and Torres today that I was joining you, all of them will say that this is their favorite podcast. And that's something I feel too. So it's amazing to be here. Kevin, we're back on the streak of having guests on that just sing our praises, and I can't hear it enough. (laughs) It's amazing. Everybody is way too kind. It really is. And hopefully next year we'll be able to maybe we'll jump in the live podcast booth at First Pitch Arizona, Kevin, and, and do something live. But for now, again, live vicariously through everybody else. Carlos, are you going to First Pitch? I wish, but I'm not in, in the U.S. I'm in Costa Rica, so that that's difficult. But I'm, I think that next year could be the year. Um, this is something I really want to do because just having the opportunity to talk to so many great people that I've already met in, in, through Twitter or through any of the sites that I've created in the past, it, it would be really amazing. And... What's better than talking baseball with people that loves it? Absolutely not. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And we're glad to have you. Carl, two-time FSWA nominee last year, correct? You were nominated for two different Fantasy Sports Writers Association awards. And having you on the pod with us, if anything else, that's it's bringing our cloud up a little, just one extra step higher than it was yesterday. (laughs) So again, so happy to have you on. Let's get right in. We got two very general news items that I wanted to get your guys' take on here. And that's specific. The first one is specifically a news item. So Kevin, I'm going to start with you and then Carlos, get your take on this as well. There are three Nippon professional baseball NPB stars that are looking to move from Japan to Major League Baseball teams for the upcoming 2023 season with 30-year-old pitcher Kodei Senja filing for international free agent status. So he won't be posted. He'll just be a free agent. That's a note that you should keep in mind. Along with 29-year-old right-handed pitcher Shintaro Fujinami. I practiced these names, I promise. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) I think I got them. And he's expected to be posted by his Hanshin Tigers. And then the third power-hitting Masataka Yoshida, requesting to be posted after his Oryx Buffaloes won the 2022 Japan Series earlier this week, a victory that Yoshida played no small part in, including an upper decker moonshot. Check, find that video, triple decker walk off of game five of that series. So far in, in NFBC drafts, we've seen Fujinami not, he has not been drafted yet. In any of the completed drafts, that's 11 drafts that have been completed so far. Shida has been drafted one out of the 11, and so at pick 616. And then Senga has been drafted in all 11 drafts. He has an ADP of 296, so he's a top 300 pick. He hasn't pitched stateside quite yet. 
So Kevin, do you ever take on any of these guys? And would you be taking a flyer on them in a 50 round draft draft and hold if at all? Well, after starting the show by saying I I was going to try not to bring up too much about Arizona, I'll be way more qualified to answer this question after I track Tim McLeod down here in a day or two. (laughs) I'm really anxious to get his take on all three of these guys and some others. But in general, typically when these players come over from Japan, their first season, they're overvalued in my opinion. There's so much of an unknown. All of these guys are 29 or 30 years old. All of these guys, as much as I was on Song Kim last off season and out the, throughout the entire season stuck with him and was very happy with what he was doing down the stretch. That was his second season after struggling in, in his first season in the United States. And that's my general opinion. Any one of these guys or all of them could do better. They could come over and hit the ground running, but that's not typically what we see. And especially you mentioned Senja already with a 296 ADP. That was before we knew what we know now. It was speculated and widely thought that this was going to be the case, but his ADP is going up. It's going to be higher than that now that we know. And people that didn't know or hadn't even paid attention or knew his name, now they do. So his ADP is going to go up even higher. Yoshida was so good. And has been for a few years that I could see him hitting the ground running. But now that the, that this is out there in, in the public, I think he's just going to be drafted too high for my taste. And in general, that's usually the case with all of the players coming stateside. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with say, uh, Suzuki. We saw it with, you say, Kikuchi. We saw it like with Kim, like you just mentioned. That first year, it can go either way. But even Otani, his first year, injury aside... Like it wasn't what we see today. Yeah. Uh, so I, I totally right. get that. To your point with Senga, he, like I said, he has been drafted in all 11, but you're absolutely right. If you go on his player page on the NFBC site, the most recent draft completed, he got picked at 260. Right before that, it was at 246. And then before about four days prior, it was at 303, 274. So it is that little red line is going up and, up means high a higher draft pick or an earlier draft pick. So this if you do want to take a chance on these guys, if that if that's your bag, you got you're gonna have to do it now. Carlos, do you tend to have the same mentality as Kevin's talking about, where it's just the risk isn't worth the reward? Or do you see something in these guys that might be might say something a little bit different? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with Kevin. This there is too much unknown here. And in the case, for example, Yoshida, that he's bubbling up, he's going, his ADP is going to be too rich. for. I, the way I put it is I could miss on not taking him, but I might get somebody that, that rich ADP that could be more or less the same. So I'm really no, not missing out that much. If it was someone that I could grab at the... Pre-hype ADP, okay. That then I would have missed uh, some real value, but not now. If just in the case of Joshida and uh, 
regarding the other two players, I'm usually wary of of drafting or speculating on pitchers too much. And they're bringing a pitcher from another league is just too many things could go wrong. And I will not take that risk, to be honest. So passing on the three of them, maybe Yoshida, I don't know. No, no, not at that price. Forget it. I, I'm passing. Well, to, to maybe Yoshida's yeah. price right now is perfectly fine in my opinion. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's but like it's 16. not gonna get. It's no, no, not gonna stay there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It will. If that's what I'm saying, if you want some exposure to Masataka, Masataka Yoshida, the power hitter who loves Bryce Harper and <laughs> apparently wants to play for the Phillies, even though I've read three other reports saying he's been connected to the Red Sox and to this other team yeah. and to whatever. I'll put all those rumors aside. You're gonna you gotta get in draft right now. Get in a draft right now and yeah. just get in the one hour draft clock so that you can get to the bottom of the draft faster than his posting can be officially announced because he has not been posted yet. The Japan series is over. I believe on November first we'll find oh no past November first. Uh it should be any I would assume it's gonna be any day. I actually don't know what like the deadline is for that. I think it's right before the arbitration. So I think it's like November 11th or 12th or something like that. So it should be coming up in the next week or so. But he hasn't been officially posted. Senga is a free agent. He's already filed international free agent papers. He is going to be, if not already, is a free agent. And I think that's why he's been drafted in all 11. You don't have to worry about the posting fee. You don't have to worry about the process. He will be signed. In what role? We don't know in what capacity will he play on what team. All those things are obviously a question mark. But Yoshida specifically and Fujinami will not, they'll both have to be posted and we'll have to see where, how that process plays itself out. If I could put a word of caution on Singa is that he's been having a worse strikeout percentage for the past couple of years. That might not be something, but maybe people would want to keep an eye on that. The strikeout rates in general, if I'm not mistaken, for pitchers that come over from Japan to the U.S. typically take a hit in general as well. And so that's something, yeah, excellent call out to keep that in mind. If that's what you're going for, that might you might want to temper your expectations. All right, let's talk about some U.S.-based players who may or may not be finding themselves on the same teams. What I'm getting to is the non-tender deadline. Um, is coming up. It was moved up. It typically in the past had been November 30th. This was pre-lockout, pre-COVID and all that. They moved it up to November 18th this year, which is just about two weeks away by the time you're listening to this. The positive about that is it should give non-tendered players more time to shop themselves along with the other free agents, find themselves new teams, fill up and for our sake, fill up the free agency class even more, get even more hot stove. That's going to be great. (laughs) You're going to love seeing that. So, Carlos, let's start with you. I'm going to ask you guys both the same question. But you guys have a list of all the arbitration-eligible players worth knowing. Which of which players on this list would you be the least surprised to see get non-tendered and become a free agent? I think that because of the injury stuff and the general underperforming, Jared Walsh might be someone. I think that the Angels are not going to get more anything more from him and they might part ways with him the other guy that i think that it's should be out and i think that's 
it might be even more probable is Dom, Dominic Smith with the from the Mets. The Mets might be shopping like crazy during this after all the, the supposed deception of their the, this season for them. I think the owner is gonna keep trying to get more players, and I don't see any place for Smith anymore in in that team. So those would be like. To me, the two guys that I would not be surprised at all if they let them go. It'll be interesting to see if that's the way that plays out and if somebody like Walsh could reach out and find... I'd be surprised if he could actually find a full-time role on a different team. But it's a nice opportunity for these types of guys to give themselves their own path to finding a team that's willing to put them out there. Kevin, do you see any names on here that kind of stand out to you as somebody you'd be the least surprised to see enter the free agent market yeah i really don't know i here's the funny thing right every one of these guys if they're planning on non-tendering them they're trying to trade them right now it's every guy in our fantasy leagues that keeps pushing players on us that we don't want and when they finally go through everybody (laughs) and can't trade them then they drop them that's what's happening right now is they're trying to trade these guys. And I don't think the Blue Jays will get any takers, and I don't think they're going to hold on to Kevin Biggio. They really don't. He's got worse every single year since his rookie season. Even the 2020 season, when he was pretty decent numbers for the abbreviated season, it just it has not been good at all since then. Over the past two seasons, he has one season worth of plate appearances with 13 home runs and five stolen bases. And we saw the 16 home runs, 14 stolen bases as a rookie in just over 400 plate appearances. And we started prorating. We got a 25-20 guy here, maybe 30-20. And it hasn't happened. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. In 2022, there was a couple of real short flashes where it looked like he might be putting something together. Didn't really pan out. And it's, I don't think they're going to want to pay him. It's only, even as it's his first year of arbitration, he's probably only going to get awarded three or $4 million. I think he had a two and a half million dollar contract, a little over that for 2021. So it would go up a little bit, but not much with just the 300 plate appearances he had and six home runs, two stolen bases. It's not a lot of money, but I don't think they want to spend it there. And it's a shame, right? It looked like he was going to be this new superstar, and then we were all expecting so much from him, and it just didn't pan out. It's and maybe so a change of scenery is what he needs. It, you, you never know. Probably. Sometimes that yeah. works out. Yeah. Yeah, the, the one that always stands out to me is pretty much anybody on the A's. Oh, my <laughs> God. Tender. They have $0 committed as of right now until this non-tendered deadline comes to pass. Sean Murphy is the one that kind of stands out the most as being fantasy relevant no matter where he plays. But the A's do have plenty of other options coming up at the catcher position. And, it, and if you go over to be trade rumors, they've got a nice article by Steve Adams who he puts together his projections for what these guys should should get. On the through arbitration, let's see. Sean Murphy is listed at maybe three and a half million dollars, which is three and a half more million dollars than the A's probably want to spend, or maybe yeah. just three million dollars more than they want to spend. I think five dollar more than they want to yeah, spend. They, they, to spend you know? <laughs> but he's got trade value. I think. I think someone <laughs> and, and will give the them he, yeah. something. I don't think he. It would come to be in a non-tendered. 
I think they could get something for him. It could be, if nothing, even if nothing else, a sign. Like a my sign first and trade. thought was to go look at Tampa's players that are arbitration mm-hmm. eligible, but they all they somehow convince somebody to give them something for every one of their players they don't want to pay. Yeah, and then they get two <laughs> more guys that become all stars the following yeah. year somehow. Said, hey, keep keep yep, the turning burning. <laughs> the wizardry. It'll be interesting to see what happens come what did I say November twelfth. As this deadline comes on, to just to see who's going to be the big name on there that we've talked about in the pod too is Cody Bellinger. He could still be getting upward of eighteen million dollars or more based on past performances. The Dodgers have a lot of decisions that they need to make financially as far as who they want to try to retain from free agency, who they want to bring up, who they want to provide playing time, and what direction they want to go. There's, <laughs> they can only go down from where they ended the regular season, and they yeah. proved that in the playoffs. And so, Cody Bellinger being a, he's going to be difficult to trade based on what he's been doing recently and the amount of money that he's going to be owed in arbitration. And so I think he is a viable option to be non-tendered and he will have no problem finding a suitor on the free agent market, being able to play center field. That's true. And just going back to the A's, whatever happens, the one thing I want is that or they move from there or they change ownership because I suffer being a, an a, a Oakland fan and I need them to do something drastic <laughs> sometimes soon. And I know it won't happen. So that's my life, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Some things we just continue to live with. Uh, all right. That's great, guys. That's all the news we're going to talk about today. We'll have plenty more news as this non-tender day comes and the offseason becomes official and the World Series has concluded. So we'll get to that in a little while. Right now, we'll get into our main discussion of the episode, which, like I said at the beginning, we're going to try to identify some players in the top portion of drafts that are bound to burn us in the same vein as a few did in 2022. And we'll get to those specifics in a little bit. But first, we are going to take this quick break. All right, we are back. Of course, you are listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined every week by Kevin Hastings. And we are lucky enough to have with us co-host of the Fantasy Baseball Beat Podcast, Carlos Marcano. Carlos, before we get into the main part of the episode, as I just uh, teased right before the ad break there, I do want to talk to you a little bit about your guys' new podcast, which I've had the pleasure of listening to. I mentioned it last week because you had a great conversation with Craig Mish, and you've got your Red Sox one coming up. So I got a couple questions I'm hoping you guys can throw out there on my behalf. I can't wait to listen to that one as well. Oh, sure. But (laughs) what do you guys talk to me about? What do you guys, what were you guys hoping to accomplish? This is a is an interesting concept for a podcast that I think can be really useful um, if done correctly. And so far, you guys are killing it. But what were you guys thinking going into this as far as what were you hoping to gain from a yeah. fantasy perspective by talking to beat writers of teams who usually specifically talk about the teams in a real life perspective? Yeah, the idea was to try to find edges wherever we can. And this is something that every competitive fantasy player wants to get. And and one thing that I that we saw is that we all have the stats. We all have the metrics. We all have a lot of the same information, every one of us. But sometimes we don't know, hey, who's given their best effort, for example. And in our conversation with Craig Mish, he said for that, 
For instance, Jesus Sanchez was having problems with his attitude and, and given the, his best effort and things like that. And that's something that put him on a bad situation, even with his manager and things like that. So you start to understand why someone might not be performing as the metrics are saying or, and things like that, because we know that Jesus Sanchez can put balls on, on the moon. The problem is that he needs to consistently hit it. And if he's not putting his best effort on his training and things like that, that's something that's not going to improve just because it would. So these are the little nuggets of things that we can't see through the numbers. We cannot expect to, to understand who's or who's having more situations with their health than that the reports say or the injury lists, lists say. Things like that that happen day to day on, in those clubhouse and that have an impact in, in the real game and also, of course, in, in our fake teams. And this was the idea behind it. I'm lucky enough that two tremendously amazing co-hosts like Chris Torres and Mike Carter, which what we do is we make this round table of questions and we try to get things be beyond what the metrics say. And so far, the first episode, I th we were lucky we got Mr. Craig Mish, who is like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> in multiple ways of amazing because not only he is knowledgeable on the day-to-day -day stuff, but he has a fantasy baseball background, so that helps a lot. Yeah, that was going to get in my next question. You guys got lucky with Mish because, yeah, he, he talks in fantasy terms almost as often as he talks in real-life terms, especially when he's through his tweets and through his work and what have you. And so you guys were able to kind of get that out of him pretty easily without even coaxing him into it. I guess my question, though, is you're not always going to have a Craig Mish <laughs> coming oh, up course. as your beat writer that you can get a hold of who's willing to come on the podcast. Obviously, they know what kind of podcast you guys are running, but I, what, I guess, is your guys' plan to kind of coax that fantasy spin out of these beat writers who, if you happen to get a beat writer writing for a team that either has never played fantasy baseball or really doesn't have any history in in our portion of the sport yeah that, that that's a challenge challenge and that's something we've talked about uh, and uh, there's where our background in fantasy baseball is going to be handy we, we will have to direct the conversation in that area and it will at the end it will be all about the doing the right questions it's not gonna be easy but i think it's gonna be fun and i and the idea is that people can get some really useful and actionable information from this. And there is also the part that getting the questions from people and Twitter or everywhere also can help because to, to sense the mood around particular teams, because it's not the same to talk about the relevance of players in the Marlins, which the, the offensive was really bad, but pitching was their 40 this year. Mm -hmm. And maybe with uh, other teams, it's going to be the other way and things like that. So it's going to be interesting, to be honest. I'm really anxious, but but I'm excited, to, to be fair. Yeah, I'm really hoping you guys get 30 episodes by February so that we have this information before yeah. major draft season in March. I'll be rooting for you guys to make sure that happens because <laughs> you know it's going to be like 
the two teams you're not able to get a beat writer on in time, that would be the two teams. I'm like, I have all the questions <laughs> for yeah. that team. Make it happen. Make it happen, guys. Yeah. Kevin, like how much stock you put in like the beat, especially in the off season. See, for me, it's like the off season is where I think I feel like I'd get the most information out of a beat writer if I'm following them or reading their work or what have you. Um, <laughs> of course, we all read Jeff. I reference it all the time in this podcast, but he's minding the news. All he's doing is referencing beat writers. The off season feels like that's where it's at. So I Carlos, I think this is a great time for this po- this kind of podcast that can still run through the regular season, but I think you yeah. get the most bang for your buck at this time of year. Kevin, how much stock are you putting into what they have to say, whether it's on Carlos's podcast, reading their work, or wherever you're finding their information? Yeah, I think with, like with anything, you got to sort out some of it a little bit, but it, the Beat Writers was the number one reason that I joined Twitter in the first place a few (laughs) years ago was to find a beat writer from every major league team and try to keep up on what they were saying. So they, you gotta, it takes a little while of reading the same beat writers over and over to get a sense of whether, how much you want to trust each one. But for example, like you were saying off season, it is, the peak of this type of information and I would take it into spring training and throughout spring training. An example is last season. Just, I wasn't living there at the time. I'm talking 2021 season. I wasn't living there at the time, but I have in the past, I kind of follow several Texas Rangers beat writers and they were talking about how big the coaching staff and manager and entire organization was on this Ottilise Garcia guy, right? So I, I was fortunate that worked out and, and that's what I'm looking for. And that's why I began to follow some of them. It's why Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News is great. It's why these guys' podcast is absolutely amazing and is to the right away after the first episode went to one of the tops on my list to make sure I can tune into each episode. This is the stuff, right? Carlos is 100% right. We all see pretty much the same information anymore. Anything that we can get that not everybody has or not everybody pays attention to can be valuable, especially if you can weed out the noise and get some important stuff out of there. I think yeah. what's most important too is you guys got to make sure you're tracking all of these beat writers you're having on the show because we're not going to know who to trust once this stupid check mark goes away. On <laughs> oh my god! Oh my I'm gonna, god! I'm going to be looking. I'm just going to be referencing your past episodes. Right? Who did they have on Fantasy Beat? Who did they have on? Fan- all right, I can trust them. I'll make sure I follow them. I'm good to go. No, yeah. So that's ridiculous. Oh um, also, Carlos, you guys need to get your own feed because I don't want to just tune in to every triple play podcast i <laughs> listen to you guys sorry mendy sorry no that's not true I listen all but it, it is it's always fun listening to the triple play feed being uh, like ooh, it's a because i because the preview of the title never shows up on my screen enough on my car and so i never know what i'm going to listen to until i hit play it's and a I'm surprise like, right, I guess i'm listening to the call up now all right i guess i'm listening to fantasy beat now that's great <laughs> There's there are some of the funniest guys in the, uh, around, us. and I'm I was surprised when they approached to us. Mandy, thank you, man. You... 
Yeah, yeah. Good find on his part. And I'm glad that you guys are able to take this off the ground and run with it. I'm looking forward to the next 29 episodes this offseason. So if you guys are not following or subscribing, make sure you are doing that immediately. Go back and listen to the Craig Mish episode. You have the Red Sox. Who's who's the beat writer coming on for the Red Sox? Mr. Chris Cotillo. Mm-hmm. Good one for Mass Live. Yeah, as a former... Way. As a former Massachusetts resident, I spent many a time in my youth on Mass oh. Live, and it was like the local Reddit of my. Oh my god, my... that can be great or not? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, that should be a great episode. Lots of question marks. I have two questions in there, mostly just who do I blame for what's happening in Boston? And so I'm like to get his take on that. Tell me who to yell at, and I will gladly do that. Right I decide to, uh... right now. We'll try to get to a face to name him. I promise. <laughs> Perfect. Give me a name. I can look up the face on Google. That's pretty fine. Uh, All right, guys. Let's talking about the Red Sox burning me as a fan. Let's talk about some players that we think might be burning us as fantasy managers going into the 2023 season. There were quite a few names as. It happens from year to year that you spend a lot of time, you spend all of your energy looking into who you should be spending your second round pick, your fifth round pick, even up to your 10th round pick. These aren't dart throws. These are guys that you spent the most time kind of picking yeah. through what direction you want to take your team, what players you want to carry yourself to a championship. It doesn't always work out. Simple as that. There are sometimes there are things we can't avoid or control, and that's injuries, disciplinary actions off the field, stuff like that. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hit on any of them. I'm not gonna talk about Walker Bueller. I'm not gonna talk about the guys who left due to major injury, Ozzy Albee, stuff like that. Byron Baxton. Yeah, we never have to talk about Byron Buxton in that capacity <laughs> or Mondesi or any of those guys. <laughs> But I will. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through a couple of guys that. I found to have pretty drastic return on investment, as in they return nothing in comparison to where they were drafted. And so what I want you, the exercise we're going to do here is I asked you guys to pick, go through the current ADP on NFBC and pick guys that are going, that kind of fit the same bill as of right now, as, as far as you see it. So first and foremost, we have Jesse Winker. He was drafted in February and March. So all these ADPs from 2022 are going to reference the 15-team drafts on NFBC between February 1st and the end of March of 2022. So Jesse Winker, he went as the 72nd hitter off the board with an ADP of 121. According to the Fangraphs auction calculator, that should have provided $8.40 worth of value. And actual value, based on what he put out throughout the season, was $0.09. Cents. Not exactly the same. Difference of $8.31. Right behind him, or I guess right ahead of him, Miles Straw, ADP of 120. He was the 71st hitter off the board. He should have provided $9 worth of value. He... We all know who drafted them there. A buck oh one in value. So about $7.99 a difference there. So right around eight bucks. Javier Baez, another big disappointment, especially if you're looking for that dual eligibility. 62nd overall, the 40th hitter off the board should have given you $15.80, gave $8.40. So still a lot more, but still a $7.40 difference based on where he was drafted. Whit Merrifield surprisingly oh gave you $11.84 worth of value 
Unfortunately, he was drafted on average at 32, the 20th hitter overall should have given you over $22 worth of value based on the auction calculator. So it's over. That's the biggest disappointment, even though he provided the biggest value or the biggest wow. actual value at $11.84, it should have given you a lot more. And so at pick 32, $10 plus of a difference is not what you're looking for. All these guys had rewards. Sure. You should have seen, they should have seen it coming. Comments could have, it's easy to say in hindsight, but Kevin, talk to me about first, let's start with, let's start with a mile straw. What was it about mile straw that provided us with the confidence to draft him as the 71st hitter overall? It got people excited. Maybe you weren't one of them, but what, what I see your head shaking. All right. So st- Guess <laughs> what was it that was getting people excited? And then what should we have seen that that should have kept us off draft boards? Oh, no, I don't have to guess. We know what it was with Miles Straw. It's the stolen bases. And to begin the season, it looked like that pick could pan out. He was actually yeah. hitting a little bit. And for the year, I think you got, I in this case, right, when you're drafting a guy for one category, the dollar value kind of gets tossed out the window. I think for the most part, Miles Straw for most of the season did what those that were rostering him wanted him to do. Sure, you always can hope for a little more, but he he was out there. He was getting on base and stealing bases, at least for a portion of the season. Fell off for a while, but it's the stolen bases. And in that case, I like I said, I think you can throw the dollar values out the window and I, I don't think he was a huge disappointment. I think what he did was just bolster the argument for those like myself that had Miles Straw on zero teams. It's, it's Nope, that's why. I think you got what you could expect from him. If that's what you want and that's how you're going to construct your roster, great. But that's not the way I went about it last season. And he would have to go far later in drafts for me to have any interest. Yeah. To your point, if you look at it by category, sure. He provided you with over $11 worth of value. Again, according to the calculator in the stolen base category, the problem is that he gave you negative $12 in in everything else. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. pretty much, pretty much. And so that's something that should be considered as well. Really quickly, Carlos, right next to him with Jesse Winker, same question. Like, what what was it that was attracting people to Jesse Winker, and what should we have been? What were the red flags that should have seen? We, hindsight twenty twenty. What should we have seen coming? So Winker, the appeal is that he could provide some twenty plus hammers of counting stats, mostly hammers, RBIs, runs, things like that. What we didn't, or those that drafted him, got a couple of shares because I was intrigued. I've always liked his ability to get walks. He's a guy that that, that is always over 10, 12% of walk percentage, so that's nice. But the thing is that he was moving from Great American Ballpark to, to a quite different place, and that's something that most people un- underestimated on the impact that it would have on his numbers. And it showed he he barely got 14 homers and he played more games in 2022 than in 2021. 
and we, I think we forgot that he was playing on the best place to get homers after Coors Field and left it for Seattle, which is not that terrible, but it's not the same. There is a big learned lesson there for most of people that was hyping this. And on on the off-field situation, it looks like the guy is problematic in the, in the, in the clubhouse too. So th those are things that maybe if we had the fantasy baseball pod a bit last year, we would have known. There you go. <laughs> Way to work that plug in there. Well done. You're a pro at this already. Yeah, to be fair, the trade, if I'm looking this up correctly, the trade to Seattle didn't happen until mid-March. And so that ADP is a little skewed. They're being He's being drafted in Cincinnati up until that point. And then as soon as that happens, it did skew when what his ADP was. His ADP for all of February in the first half of March was around 104. And then after the trade happened, his ADP was only was back to 120. So not that big of a jump, only about a round and a half or so. Yeah. So it's still too rich. Yeah. yeah, sure. But I'm just saying the market did adjust, even if it was very slight. Real quick, Kevin, same question though to, about your boy, Whit Merrifield. <laughs> what happened? What should we have seen? And do you think that $10 difference is enough to say he was a disappointment at that pick or is that enough value? I think it's a disappointment. He completely stopped running. The value he did provide is the stolen bases he did give us early in the season. And I think this is the worry with guys in their 30s that their value comes from stolen bases, right? We don't know when this is going to happen. It will happen. We don't know when. There's been plenty of players over the past 20 years that I gave up on way too early. The one that always comes to mind for me is Paul Konerko. I avoided him for five years when he was amazing, right? In this instance, now I'm talking stolen bases for these types of guys because that's what we see with age typically, and we just don't know when. So it, it's difficult. It's like I said, I don't necessarily think we could see this coming we know it's going to happen but we don't know exactly when so i don't blame people for drafting whit merrifield where he was being taken it's it had worked out for the previous three seasons yeah to be fair i think not only was whit merrifield being drafted year in and year out because of the stolen bases but it's also how many times he was on the field which was literally every, every day game. Yeah. For three straight seasons. And even in 2018, he only missed four games. And so the last time he was less than 158 games was 2017. He still hit 145. So between the between the missed time, a little bit of missed time in Kansas City, and then playing pretty much every other day, if that, in Toronto, only got out to 139 games appeared in. And that's not even saying he started that many games either, coming in as pinch hitter or pinch runner or what have you, when possible. So I think that's that played a decent role, at least in the, especially in the second half after the trade deadline. Even though his batting average went up in Toronto, he's playing less time. It's making less of an impact. And then the last one here on the hitter's side, Carlos Javier Baez obviously struggled. He was driving the struggle bus in yeah. Detroit on that contract. Did, again, because it was it was it the contract? Was it the new environment? It was the ballpark? Where again, is this just 
stretching for stolen the stolen base upside that we might have seen. What do you think it was that was attracting everybody to Javi Baez that maybe should have steered away from? Yeah, I think it's that power stolen bases combo that he brings there. The guy he belted 30, 31 homers last in 2021, and he got almost 20 stolen bases, and that's Wow, that's really appealing. But the thing is that we forget that he will swing the bat to a fly moving around the home plate every time he can. He, it's just, it's so atrocious that it's funny. And and I have no doubts that he might get some day near closer to 40% strikeout rate, something like that. He's just incredibly undisciplined and and even he got better in that regard this year mm-hmm. for the first time in his career he was under 25 percent in his strikeout rate i would not trust that to keep that low to be fair I, there is no any other indication that can that's sustainable and that's what you get with this kind of players inconsistency he, he might have the greatest season in terms of power and things like that, but if he, it go, it can easily, very easily go the the other way. You should not be too, especially at sixty and an ADP of sixty two. That's really a premium position to trust a guy uh, such an inconsistent kind of guy. Yeah, you, you mentioned he he did bring down his strikeout rate at least on the season. His plate discipline was worse in the respect that if you're looking at what he was actually swinging at, he swung outside the zone 48.7% of the time last year. Hmm. That's 4 points up above his career average and that's built into that career average as well. And he swung less at things that are in the zone mm-hmm. at a much much less at 69% compared to his 72 plus percent career. And he made the same amount of contact. He's like swinging more and making the same percentage of contact on both of those types of pitches. That's not going to be a recipe for success, regardless if he didn't strike out or not. My red flag for... My red flag for Baez, I don't think I had Baez anywhere. I might have drafted him in a mock draft for fun, but just go to Comerica. Like that was something that was uh, a little bit too much about it. But we saw what that does to many a players. Nick Castellanos was the one that always came to mind. Obviously, after he got out of there, he finally found some power or more power that everybody saw was ready to be unlocked. And that you take away that power, as you mentioned, from belting 27 home runs in 2020. And let me say that again, 29 home runs in 2019, 30, 31 home runs, like you said, in 2021 down to he still belt. He still got over. The 17, he got 17 home runs last year. That yeah. had to play a part in it. Sure. I made a lot of bad decisions this season, but uh, Baez wasn't one of them. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> 99 <laughs> problems, Baez wasn't one. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's, before we move on to our pitchers, I got to get your guys' quick takes on who you think your predictions on who's going to be this year's version of these players. They don't need to be an apples to apples comparison of the type of player, but they need to be a player that's going in the same range in these early drafts that you're probably avoiding, whether you're avoiding at this cost or you're avoiding altogether, you can specify if you want, but let's start 
in the deeper spots and move our way up the draft board. We'll start at ADP 120. This is where Jesse Winker and Miles Straw was was going uh, in those later drafts. So who, Kevin, who around 120 currently is going to be somebody that you're going to be avoiding, at least at this cost? Oh, you just mentioned him, and he's going a few picks earlier, about 115 or so, and this is Nick Castellanos. I have never been a fan. I understand when he went to Great America Small Park, he finally did what people had been wanting him to do for eight years. And, and that was the thing with me. For all these years, I'm like, we know what he is. We know what he is when he was in Detroit every year. We knew what he was and people kept drafting him to be better. It finally happened because he went from one of the worst ballparks for Mm -hmm. power in Major League Baseball to one of the best, if not the best. And when he left, everything fell apart again. And I don't expect it to get better. I this he's back to who he was in Detroit even though Philadelphia isn't nearly as bad of a park as Detroit in fact it's a little bit on the plus side it's down I think when I looked around 10th rank in baseball for home runs in 2022 Uh not horrible not great so I I just don't see him and when I look here's what really got it for me when I was looking at the guys being drafted in this area. And then you go guys that qualify at outfield. Here's the guys being picked after Nick Castellanos as outfielders. Christian Yelich. Yeah, he started hitting the ball on the ground again. The power went away, but he started stealing bases again. We had Taylor Ward with the Angels. Giancarlo Stanton. We know the only concern there is injury. Jake McCarthy. Seiya Suzuki, Andrew Vaughn for sure, but any of these guys, I would rather have than Nick Castellanos on my fantasy baseball teams. And I'm down to ADP over 150 now and just going to the next few outfielders drafted. So this was pretty easy for me. Suzuki's the second year now, so he's going to be great. That's what we established at the top of the pod. (laughs) Exactly. And well, he just had a kid, and the Cubs did right by him. I'm going to give them a. They did. They're like, we're not playing for anything. You stay in Japan as long as you need to. And he pretty much finished out the season in Japan. I think he did come back for like the final week or two. But good on them for being like, you do, you dude. We got nothing. (laughs) We don't. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, there, there's several guys being drafted after Nick Costellano said, I'd rather have on my teams. I could be wrong again, like I was his full season in Cincinnati. But as Carlos said earlier, I won't mind missing out. Right. There's plenty of other options in this area that I'm not going to miss big, even if he's really good. Yeah, really what it comes down to, and we're going to say this a lot, I'm sure, these, where we're talking about these players, where these picks are, top 125, right? We're talking about your, the good rule of thumb, especially if you're drafting early, in my mind, is you want to avoid risk in, in, in general and then also in your own mind. If you go into this saying, hey, I, I'm going to pick this guy, but he's going to be my first outfield. At this point, you might have gone a route where Nick Castellanos would be your outfield one. You might not have picked an outfielder in the first couple of rounds and gone with him. And you want to feel, you want to feel confident about all your ones regardless of where you get them in the draft. So if you wait that long to pick your first outfielder and you don't feel confident about Nick Castellanos, then 
you need to move on to somebody else or you need to rethink your draft strategy in general. Carlos, around 120, who might you be looking to avoid based on where they're going now? I picked Jose Abreu. And in the end, I think it's just a matter of father time getting to him already. And I, when I was hearing Kevin talking about Paul Conerico, this is a similar situation here with the Braille. Same team? Uh, yeah. And position, also, everything. Everything. <laughs> there are a lot of, of things that they share. And he's been consistently keeping up with the, with his age and all situations. And he's been a great producer, consistently putting all these counting stats and even some nice average and but i was worried when i saw that he went from 30 homers on in 2021 and to just 15 this year there is something it was the first time he was so low previously he had 19 in 2020 in just 16 games 60 games but he had never fallen from 20 to 25 and he went all the way to 15. He still produced nicely in, in terms of runs, and his average was fantastic. But these are things that it will, and probably the White Sox will improve next year. And we, with a healthy Lewis Robert, he, all the other guys, he might have still chances to score a lot of runs and to produce the RBIs. But I'm a little bit worried about him reaching the the frontier in which the age is a problem for his production i also i'm also curious to see where abreu ends up because i think all expectations are that they're going the white Sox are going to move on from abreu they're not going to give him a new contract or maybe at least not put up a big enough fight where he's going to want to stay and is it U.S. Cellular or I, I, the White Sox? I feel like the White Sox have changed their stadium name more than once in the last five years. Yeah. But where the White Sox Stadium uh, is a pretty pro hitter ballpark, if I remember correctly as well. So he doesn't have that many options to move to a field that's, that's going to bolster the area in which you have the most concern over at this time as well. And just a just a quick reference, as Kevin pointed out with Nick Castellanos, going right now, like I said, he's, he is, has an ADP of 130, 104 to 149 min-max picks. But going around, oh, and look at that. There's been a 12th draft uh, yeah. completed while we were recording this. So all of my ADP numbers are off. That's okay. But Not going be right close. before him at first base is Reese Hoskins. He's going about a round or two round and a half prior to, to Abreu. And right after that, Christian Walker is going about 20 picks about again, another round and a half later. So I think I'm on board with you for sure. I'm like, I'd rather have Christian Walker, assuming he's going to have continue his everyday role in Arizona. And that's without going down to the next first base on the list, Andrew Vaughn going three picks after Walker. And I'd rather have Vaughn over both of these guys. Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move down the ADP board and hopefully these numbers still match up. Let's go around ADP 60-ish. That's where Javier Baez was going last year at the in February, March drafts. Carlos, to start with you here, who around that pick is your player that you're going to be avoiding? I'm sad to say that it's a fellow Venezuelan, Salvador Perez. And injuries and catchers are the biggest, worst, the worst two words that, that that a manager wants to see. And especially 
It looks like he had just a lot of bad luck, and he tried to play through these injuries too much this year. I think he didn't give the, the proper acknowledgement of these injuries on, and on the toll they were taking. And he, he tried to move on with that, and he's not a kid anymore either, and especially for such a taxing position. And, of course, there that amazing 48 homer season is still in in our minds and in such a difficult and premium position for our fantasy games another season like that from salvador would be amazing but i think it was one uh, one the unicorn season for him and we cannot be drafting expecting anything like that anymore so that adp for him it's too rich Kevin, obviously, I got to turn over to you for this one. To make this all about me again, in my home dynasty league, I have currently Salvador Perez and MJ Melendez. And I talked about this on my mock draft with Nick, where I drafted back-to-back Dalton Valshow and Salvador Perez so that I could capitalize on as many at-bats out of the catcher position, especially in a one-catcher league, as I possibly could to give myself that flexibility. I can do the same thing in my home league. MJ Melendez, obviously outfield eligibility. Sal Perez starts at catcher. When he gets a day off, put MJ in because I mean, that works out great because obviously if Salvador Perez is getting the day off, Melendez is definitely playing. Do I have to worry about that with Perez? Is Carlos right? Are you worried about Perez getting more time off as he ages or as the Royals expert here? Do you still see him playing when he's not playing behind the plate he's going to be the dh or do you think the royals are going to give him more days off at least for another season on the days he's not catching he will more than likely dh in my opinion and maybe for two or three more seasons i think that's going to be the case i like this pick my original thought at this spot for this question was all the catchers going in this area you got Will Smith at 58, Dalton Varsho at 61. Now, that's, I would say he's the exception because of the stolen bases. Salvador Perez at 66, and Adley Rutschman at 73. I think all of those in that group, while I was all over this area and wanted not just one, but I wanted two catchers up in this area last season, we have more options now. Two to three rounds later, we still have Wilson Contreras, Alejandro Kirk, MJ Melendez, you mentioned, Tyler Stevenson. We're down to now we're down to 10th round, and we still have William Contreras and Sean Murphy, Cal Raleigh, any of these guys. But I think we have to be careful, right? Because I, I still think in two catcher leagues, we want two of these guys. And if you look at the men pick, where for Tyler Stevenson, for example, even though his average ADP is 140. His men is at 105. That's the last pick of the seventh round, and I think that's going to be what we're going to see. We're going to see people like at the 7-8 turn, maybe even the 6-7 turn, double tapping a couple of these guys. So you'll be passing on some of these catchers thinking, oh, there's still five or six of them left, and all of a sudden they're all going to be gone. So We're we're going to see the catcher runs that we used to see years ago all the time. But yeah, in one in catch general, release, this is not around a- this 60 range. I agree with Carlos here. I think I'm waiting a little longer than I did last season on all of these guys. Yeah. And this is two catcher league specific. In one catcher leagues, 
<laughs> wait, like you said, th- th- we've never seen this kind of depth, or at least we haven't seen it in quite some time. Hitter friendly catchers in a one catcher league. Go, go ahead and wait. Like you're not a, hurting a 12 yourself. Team one catcher league. Give me Cal Raleigh as the last guy to pick there you go. Catcher, pick somebody right? off the wire at one point yeah. at some yeah. point. <laughs> so yeah, that's great insight there. I hope you're right, Kevin. Carlos, I hope you're wrong, but <laughs> I think it's a valid concern for sure. Kevin, who did you pick as your ADP 60-ish? I, it's a couple rounds later than when, where we've seen Whit Merrifield, but the worry here is Whit Merrifield for me. And throw in injury history for Starling Marte. I just can't do it. Another year older. He's battled injuries anyway. I just he plays can't. for the Mets. They <laughs> handle injuries so well, though. <laughs> that went through my head, and I actually filtered that out. But I'm glad you brought it right back on through. Yeah, I just can't do late fourth, early fifth round pick on Marte with the way his injury history has been and his age. I, I think I said this last year. Marte was somebody I was avoiding last year for the exact reason, and that came to fruition. Yeah, I'm probably uh, staying away from Marte for that same reason as well. Let's move up to the ADP 30-ish range. Carlos, who who are you avoiding at that in that range? A guy that really hurt me this year, and and it's none other than Luis Robert. White Sox fans are going to say that I have something against him because first Abreu, <laughs> now and now Robert. Don't let Mike <laughs> listen to the episode. Oh <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cannot say that in front of him. And but uh, yeah, l- let me just say that I love Luis Robert. I think he is one of the most talented players in all baseball he's the guy is amazing he can run he can bat for power he can do everything but the only thing he cannot do is to stay healthy and this is one of too many situations like buxton's or those guys that they are really great but unfortunately their bodies are just a little bit more fragile than others robert has played a hundred he played a hundred and sixty six games between twenty no I'm sorry ninety ninety eight games this year sixty eight games in twenty twenty one and the more in twenty twenty the short season he played fifty six which was amazing and was probably what led us to believe that he could be healthy for longer times and I think that we got it wrong. It, the truth was that's the maximum amount of games that he can stay healthy during during a season. So we, I got to the point that I will not trust that he can play more than a hundred games in a season. That's for me. That's the cap for Luis Robert, and for an ADP of thirty five, which is now, but he's gone as early as nineteen in 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 this draft season i just there is not the volume to justify that that adp even if he can turn in on a per game basis the amazing rates of all the stats it's just not worth it and i will i particularly will not do it man i'm just i'm looking at this grouping of outfielders like right before robert and it's just amazing how much risk like injury risk there is in this like anywhere between the middle of the second round or actually 
the beginning of the second round all the way to like the middle of the third round. Mookie Betts, it looks like he got over what was ailing him prior. Mm-hmm. But then after that, you have Jordan Alvarez, which, you know, the joke is always he's what, 26 years old, but his knees are 36 years old. <laughs> that could always come back at any time. Bryce Harper dealt with the things he dealt with this year. Mike Trout obviously has been missing some time as he gets older. Michael Harris is the only exception here. He's too young to have gotten hurt yet. Knock on wood. And then you have Tatis Jr. and Luis Robert. So, There's a lot of injury question marks, at least history, in this whole bubble of outfielders. It might be just a grouping that as good and as talented as all these guys are. It goes back to my my, my thought earlier about avoiding that kind of risk in this bubble and outfield at the very beginning. I want to trust my outfield one no matter what. I want to trust my top shortstop. I want to trust in whatever capacity that I've looked into all these players at these at the top of my at each position and hopefully it all works out but at least if I trust them I can say with a clear conscience that it should have all worked out or it has a chance to definitely yeah. on that note Kevin who are you avoiding at around the current ADP of 30 yeah, we've talked a lot about this already this offseason, so this will be nice and quick for me. It's Fernando Tatis Jr., similar reasons to Robert, but the thing with Robert, he wasn't always on the IL. It hurt even more. Oh, that was the worst. Yeah, especially we, in like August in and September. lineup, and then he wouldn't play for four, to, four days at a time. <laughs> That's horrible. So... Tatis was easier to manage on the on, you just drop that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but still, he, as Ian Khan would say, I think Tatis is still a knucklehead till he proves me wrong on that. I'm not even going to consider him. So where that, that I will elongate this a little bit. He's going at ADP of, I lost it on my sheet, 32. Yep. He's gone as late as 55. Is that late enough for you? You always talk about you need not only like a little bit of a discount, but you need multiple rounds of discount. Is 55, that's going to be in end of round four-ish. Is that, are you having to set a new max in order to put Tatis on one of your teams or is right around there enough? That that might be close because that would be two full rounds if you get to the end of that fourth round at 60 and if I'm drafting at the end and the other thing about it is I'm getting another player right then right so I could take this pick into consideration it may alter everything I'm doing the rest of the draft but at least right now if I'm going to make this choice I know what other player I'm getting as my next pick because that would probably have a lot to do with it and Tatis, at least in NFBC, he should be only shortstop eligible going into 2023 as their rules state that if they don't play that year, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, because I actually got this information from you, I think, <laughs> that they get the position that they played the most at the year prior. And Tatis obviously played more games at shortstop, even though he did play some outfield in that season. Same would go for Undersea. He'll be shortstop el- only shortstop eligible because he didn't play enough games last year at any one position to qualify for that position. They have to go. Undersea played, so it'll be the position he played most. Right, so the year different. before. Tatis though. didn't play at all. Mondesi did play in twenty. So they're going to transfer over both outfield and shortstop eligibility? Then? No. Oh, the position he played most in 2022. For Mondesi. Oh, sorry. Yes. Even though it's not enough. The reason you get a guy that played a little bit that's UT eligible only is because they were DH more often than the position right. they played. 
So that's where it gets a little confusing. Yeah. And obviously look at your own, your, the platforms that you play on the most Yahoo Tatis probably has catcher eligibility somehow. Always know the rules on there. All right, let's move on. We're going a little long on this one, but I think it's worth it. Carlos, if you've got the time and your flight doesn't leave for a little bit, Kevin, we'll keep going with these pitchers. We're going to fly through them real quick though. What I'm going to do is I'm just, I'm going to fly through the pitchers, name them off. And then I'm going to get to go right into who you guys see as the, the avoids at the same, at the similar period and if you want to talk about the pitchers and why we should have avoided them by all means do first of all we have pablo lopez he had an adp of 137 he was a 51st pitcher off the board he should have given you at least nine dollars worth of value according to the auction calculator which is accounting for all the different the five categories of one dollar and 66 cents so about eleven dollar difference there sean Manaya. ADP of 128, the 46th pitcher off the board should have given you a little over $10 with the value. He gave you negative $16.88 with a whopping $27 difference there. Jose Barrios, ADP of 75, 30th pitcher off the board. Right around there, you should have gotten a value of over $14. He gave you negative $24, good, almost $40 difference there. And then Lucas Giolito, who burned the most Based on his ADP, he was a 14th pitcher off the board at ADP 38. Should have given you at least $20 worth of value. He gave you negative $20 worth of value with a $40 difference there. So all these guys were fully drafted by multiple in multiple leagues, sometimes by the same person over and over again, I'm sure, and they burned them even more so. Who around these same picks, so I'm going to group the first two together around 130. Carlos, who are you avoiding based on that similar idea of these are the guys that burned you so much that you wonder what should I have seen coming that should have made me avoid them. Who are you avoiding this year for the same reasons? So around the 130-ish ADPs? It yeah, would we're going to start with 130. We'll move our way up the draft board. Yeah. Okay, so it would be Lance Lynn for me. And the reason is that... We know that Lance is just a fast bowler. Everything about him is throwing and throwing his fastball and managing to do that. But the problem with that is that his homers per nine innings has increased too much. And for a guy that only throws fastballs, that's a no for in, in my book. He's gone to levels around 1.41 homers per nine innings. And that's the highest if we don't take into account the, his rookie season. I'm worried about that. I'm worried that he will continue suffering from gopharitis next season. And that's why I will not draft him at this price. Start off, say he was ADP of 140 before we started recording. Like I said, another draft did finish up. His ADP has dropped seven spots. He's now at 147. So drafters, the market is agreeing with you even before you said it um, <laughs> as they're pushing him down a little bit further. He is, let me see real quick. He is the 59th pitcher off the board at the moment. Of course, an NFBC that includes relievers in there as well. So there's going to be a handful of guys that are going right all the way down to like Scott Barlow. So there's more than a handful of relievers that are in that bunch. So he's probably closer to 50 or the top 50 starters off the board there. And that that is perfectly in range with where Pablo was going and Shamanaya at 51st and 46th pitcher off the board respectively as well. Kevin... 
And for that range, just a, a minor note, you can get Luis Garcia uh, uh, for a better ADP than Lance Lynn. I think it's a better bet. Yeah, a lot of uh, Luis Garcia going about 10 picks later now in the new ADP that we're seeing just before then. Lucas Giolito. If you believe more in that comeback, you could get him right before that as well. A lot of relievers going in this range as well between Alexis Diaz, Daniel Bard, and on Duran as well, Scott Barlow. So it might be a, maybe an opportunity to get your second reliever if that's the direction you want to go in as well. So keep that in mind. Kevin, as far as pitchers going, currently around pick 130. Who might you be avoiding in this little bubble? Really nobody. I do have a name, but I like this range. I like it a lot. We move up all the way up to average ADP of roughly 117. We have Luis Severino and all the way to Carlos mentioned Luis Garcia, Jeffrey Springs, Jesus Lazardo, all going after Lance Lynn, Chris Sale. There's a lot to like in this range, averaging about the end of the 10th round. But just because it's the Rockies, just because he's 38 years old, I had to pick a guy, so I did pick Daniel Bard, but he's been amazing for two years. I, I don't know if I'd go the men, which right now is pick 111, so eighth round in a 15-team league. That might be a little early for me, but the max is 157. We're talking 11th round. I think he's probably still the closer for Colorado and he's been amazing for two seasons. Now we don't know what it'll end. Like I like we said with some of the older players earlier, that's the only reason I used his name here. Rockies, Coors Field, 38 years old for the season, but that he's been great. Hey, the Rockies trust him. They gave him the extension, right? right so yeah. they think he's going to be pitching till he's 40 or so. The and question we, is, is, shall we trust the Rockies? Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> going to go. With the, <laughs> I think that was, I was trying to imply that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. No, the answer is no, by the way. Let's just clear that up. <laughs> All right, let's move up the draft board here, guys, to... Average average draft. I love it when people say average ADP, ADP, by the way. I almost said that myself. Your average draft position of 75. Carlos, start here. Who might you be avoiding in this range? Just like Kevin before, I like this range a lot. So I had a lot of trouble trying to pick someone. So I, I took a chance with Rysel Iglesias. And not because I dislike him too much or anything, because I think he's a good pitcher, but... It's mostly because I, if there's something I've learned, is not to bet against Kenley Jansen. And unfortunately for Iglesias, he will not have too much opportunities to, to get safe chances. And that kills his value. So, Carlos, are you of the opinion that Jansen's going to re-sign with Atlanta? Um, keep I, I think he will. I think okay. he will. I think he, he will He still have one at least one more with Atlanta, uh, I think he, oh, against any, we all thought he was done a couple of years ago. He wasn't. And he has reinvented himself by getting and going away and just pitching great once or twice and over again. And I think he can still have at least one more season of that. Yeah, what's funny is that Iglesias has got his ADP of yeah 82. Jansen's got his ADP just after him at 89. And so I will repeat the same thing I've been saying. I agree with this pick. I do, I if I had to guess, I guess that Jansen's going to go somewhere else or Atlanta's not going to pay again 
two guys that are making over, I think they're both making over $12 million, $13, $13 million a year um, to have both of those guys at the end. I know they traded for Iglesias, who already had the contract. I also think that they traded for him knowing that he was going to be their closer moving forward after the one year with Jansen. But that's being said, you don't know, to your point. Like, you don't know that because yeah. it's still murky waters. I do have more confidence that Jansen's going to sign somewhere and become a closer than I ha- than I am confident that Iglesias has the closer role in Atlanta today. And so to see Jansen going after Iglesias because of that gray area is slightly surprising. I understand that Iglesias' numbers are better, his consistency in the fact that he was able to do that as a setup guy when he has vocally come out on multiple teams saying he just doesn't like being the setup guy and he doesn't perform well in that role when he was in Cincinnati, when he was with the Angels. If he wasn't actually closing out games, he just wasn't he wasn't himself. He just didn't like doing it, so he just didn't do well at it. Part of that mostly was probably just being on the Reds, unfortunately, but... But you can get Felix Batista right before him as well. A lot more confidence that he has a job and he has the job all year round. Right before that, for closers, you have Devin Williams going about about a round and a half prior to that. And so there are some guys that have a little bit more guarantee to have that spot. So I think that's right. a good name to consider when you're making that decision, if you're making a closer decision in this bubble. Kevin. ADP seventy five. Who don't you want to? Who don't want you to take? And why are you going to be wrong? <laughs> well, so I was surprised that the player I'm about to bring up wasn't one of your examples from 2022 because he had an ADP of 47 overall in the main event, early fourth round, and. According to the auction calculator from 2022, 5x5 Roto, 15-team leagues, there were 151 pitchers that had more value than him. He came in at 152 overall, and that's Robbie Ray. And he is being drafted two to three rounds later than he was last season already. It's not enough for me. That two to three rounds isn't enough. He's... And... So the regression that even people that were on Robbie Ray for 2022 acknowledged there was going to be some negative regression from his amazing 2021. And it wasn't that much. Even the left on base percentage that was absolutely ridiculous in 2021 was still great in 2022, over 80%. His strikeouts dropped slightly, but his his XERA was identical to 2021 his ex-fip just bumped up a little bit he only threw four innings less but it was so strikeout dependent and so dependent on leaving over 90 percent of runners to reach on him on base his era dropped almost a full run and most of the metrics are very similar did not regress as much as I thought they would. So I think it it could still get worse than 2022 was. I would guess it's probably slightly better. I think he bounces back a little bit. That left on base percentage could still come down some more. So, you know, 
that right around, but his 2022 performance, I think is really close to who he is now. And the 152nd pitcher in, in auction value coming off the board in the, as the 88th overall player just doesn't add up for me. Yeah. To your point, he could have been the reason he could have been an example. The reason why he wasn't is that as I'm looking it up again, he had an ADP of 51 in the final two months of draft season last year. That should have given you about a $7 and 40 cent return at that ADP. He returned negative dollars, as you mentioned, but negative $2 and 90 cents. So it's only a difference of $10. Compared to the guys that we did go over, Pablo Lopez was right around that range. But all the other three guys were $27, $39, $40 difference. So the hit you saw from those, at least overall, and again, this auction calculator, it's not Apple. It's not perfect, especially in this scenario. It's just a kind of a generic or general sense of value that returned. If you got him for the strikeout specifically... Yeah, you're a little disappointed, but you still got what is a kind of mile straw situation. You exactly. got what That's you drafted. Exactly what I was going to say. Yep. I agree with that. All right. Let's go to the last spot here, then, guys. Kevin, I'm going to start here with you at ADP 35, which was right around where Lucas Giolito was going in the last two months of draft season last year. The 14th pitcher off the board, ADP of 38. Who's your Lucas Giolito of this year, just based on current ADP? I hope I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. I really don't think he's going to have anywhere near the disappointing season that Lucas Giolito had. However, Spencer Strider was amazing. And I think people that had him are extremely happy because they got him for nothing and they're overpaying. And I think people that didn't have him, like myself, many of them wish they did, and they're doing what it takes to get him. And I just can't draft a second-year starting pitcher this high. I really take a starting pitcher, period, this high. I have, and I will consider it, but it's going to be a guy with a longer track record. I love the strikeouts, absolutely, and he was phenomenal. Like I said, I'm probably going to be wrong here, and I hope I'm wrong, but this is not a pick I can make. Yeah, for the few people that did draft him, they drafted him at pick 500. (laughs) Or they picked him up in fab leagues. They they got him off the wire. Yeah, he currently going above the likes of Julio Urias, Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler, Justin Verlander, Shane Bieber, and... These guys, obviously, some more than others, have a much longer track record, to your point. And they have more than two pitches. So let's just throw that out there as well. Yes, Strider's pitches are very good. (laughs) There's still only two of them. And we've seen time in and time out what can happen to pitchers that kind of rely on two pitches, even even if they don't have at least a like a show me pitch third pitch just to keep like a keep your honest pitch hey i don't throw this but i could and you should know that he doesn't have that yet off seasons can change lots of things we've seen that as well all of a sudden we're gonna see one of those trackers that uh, pitchers added a pitch in the off season or in spring training all of a sudden the first pitch he throws is something he's never thrown before (laughs) in a recorded game and we'll all be like oh okay fine but as of right now, I'm totally on board with your assessment here. I can't see myself picking Strider over 
the likes of Zach Wheeler, regardless of how much hype there might be. And you, it's just like we do with hitters. It's really dangerous to be like, oh, he did all this in only 100 games. What if he had 162 games? Can we just take, I'll make the math easier. He did all this in 80 games. Can we just double that and see, hey, that's what he's going to do in 160 games? Yeah. No, you can't say that about a guy like Strider who did a lot of his damage earlier on the season as well in a limit, more limited capacity. So you're yeah. not going to say he's going to get twice as many strikeouts because he gets twice as many innings. And it's going to be hard to know until we get into the season a little bit, but I would expect that Spencer Strider is the type of pitcher that this pitch clock is going to take that full two ticks down that we've heard Sarah's talk about for some of these guys that are relying on speed and spin to with just a couple of pitches like you just brought up. I think the pitch clock can be a bigger issue for guys like this than some others. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, let's see. Strider had a 16.6 tempo, according to the StatCast last year. That's actually pretty good. Um, and yeah. so that wasn't was definitely not on the slow side of things. So it very well might be something that we are that we are looking for, and that is going to be. This is why we need to look at these things on the pitcher list website because we do all the league averages, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to measure to find that no, on the that, fly on the Statcast page. That's actually really quick. So the, the, I'm completely wrong on that last point. <laughs> And then granted, that was bases empty. That was the bases empty. Let's see yeah. where he's at with he's at a twenty four point one with the with runners on base though. So much he takes an extra almost ten seconds. Uh, but he gets an extra five. So he does get know, an extra it's... five just to keep his mind. But still, something and, to consider as well. That's much further away from the fastest when there's runners on base. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to work on that. But but close enough that. Eh, it's not going to be a huge adjustment for him. So some mm-hmm. of these guys are going to have to speed up quite a bit. The, the stamina and is going to be an issue, especially with their velocity. All right, Carlos, closes out here at ADP 35 on the pitcher side of things. Who are you avoiding based on whatever reasons? Oh, my God. I think I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's Jacob DeGrom. And I think that the things that the Grum does with his arm cannot be sustained for too much time anymore. I think he reached the the final wall in that regard, and I cannot believe that he will stay healthy in all 2023. It's just something that there's something else. If we see the final four starts for him this season. He allowed 14 runs in 21 innings. And it was against the Cubs, Pittsburgh, and Oakland. Yeah, he looked human. Yeah, yeah. So Like a bad human. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, so is this something that we can argue that he was still 100%? He was returning from these injuries. But I'm worried that he and the Mets, as we've talked, that you guys said earlier, the Mets aren't the best <laughs> handling injuries, and it, this might be a case like, oh, like Salvador Perez, where the the player tries to 
to continue playing even when they're not 100%. I, I don't like that. I don't like that because that puts volume in danger. And the volume is the name of the game most of the time for us guys. And I will not put my trust for a 32-35 ADP guy in a guy and someone that I don't believe that it's going to give me I don't know 180 innings pitch next year and even <coughs> sorry even when the those if he gives me 150 and they are amazing that they have to be the gromesque at the right. at, at best yeah, yeah big <laughs> big the room to justify the ADP yeah he's going min 20 max is 50 so same question though Carlos is 50 going to be the kind of uh, if he's still sitting around and you got pick the 50th overall pick are you happy with that or do you need to set a new max in order to take the risk on DeGrom's well, health? We can talk in 50, yeah. <laughs> I could live with that. Yeah, going to be around the 4-5 turn in a 12-teamer and a little bit earlier than that, obviously, in a 15-teamer. I'll be curious to see where he goes and what kind of contract he gets. Yeah. I think the kind of confidence, if he, if he gets a confidence-building contract, aka multi-years, still plenty of money, then maybe I'm a little bit more confident in his health because obviously he's going to get poked and prodded right. by any, any doctors and whatnot to make sure that the contract is going to be worth it. If he gets a one-year deal somewhere just to prove that he's healthy, that's where I'm gonna. That's where I'd be even more concerned regarding what his actual health is. If he has to prove it then I'm not, he's not going to prove it on my team <laughs> because there's a lot more risk there. And I think that ADP is going to sway based on that contract that comes out as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, totally. Like the Kershaw thing from, was it last year? If anybody, Kevin, I think you said it. If anybody except for the Dodgers sign him, I'm on board. So DeGrom, it's if anybody except for the Mets sign DeGrom, I'll be much more on board than if he just staying with the Mets. Yeah. Well, guys, by the way, the Houston pitchers are no pitching a no-hitter against the... It's okay for us to say it here cuz we're recording so we're not going to we're not going to throw this out here until yeah. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the game is over by then. by then. Yeah, they're up 5, so it'll definitely be over and it is combined. So Yeah. We Three should... outs to go. All right, then Kevin, I'm going to I'm going to we finished up. These are some great players to keep in mind and some thoughts to keep in mind as you are making these early draft picks. If you are in one of these, Kevin, you got a DC coming drafting in Arizona. That's uh, that's fun and that's live. Is it one of those where you do the first half of the draft in Arizona and do the rest of the a slow draft later on? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that will be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that Saturday afternoon. I don't, I think it's maybe 20 rounds that, that we do mm -hmm. and leave 30. Do you know I, your pick I, yet? Do you know where you're slotted? No, I oh, do okay. not. A anxious to find that out. I've. It's my first time doing this draft. I've always done an auction at First Pitch Arizona. So I'm not even sure when we find out what pick we have should probably dig a little bit deeper into that because i do plan on uh tweaking my spreadsheets on the plane so i probably it would be nice <laughs> well, to know you, know where you won't sleep on the I'm plane so you got to do something yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i just think this is world series going on draft season starting to i say rev up and i i know that sounds crazy to some people but but it is it's getting going we're seeing a lot of results out there as you mentioned as we're recording now there's been 
12 of the NFBC draft champions drafts completed and just going to be a great weekend. So much baseball going on in November. This is it's just amazing. That's all I got this week. So cool. Yeah. I, my only recommendation, I would love to be in the, this draft that you're in because I love the idea that you only do 20 rounds and then you pick up the draft like a couple months from now. You don't do it right away. So if you can get that pick at the that ends up being like the first one or two picks when the draft I, picks back up, that it's I nice just because you don't know what's going to happen Link between then that, and now. That, that has done that intentionally a couple of times. I think he's the one I've heard bring that up, but some, that? somebody has brought that up that they did it that way. Paul Spore used to say it all the time. He did that a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah. I'm totally My stealing Paul's Paul. idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. My apologies to Paul. I knew it was somebody had been doing that. And it, yeah, it's brilliant because that first pick, when you pick back up, could be as valuable as the first pick overall when you got two to three months worth of new news. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. All right, guys, I think that wraps us up. Kevin, have a good flight to Arizona. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us, man. Can you remind everybody here where they can find your work, what you're working on, and where they can hear your voice? Sure. I'm always rambling in Twitter at CA Marcano, and I, I love to interact with everyone willing to read my crazy stuff for a while and picture list Facebook prospectus and I hope to get to have some articles before this off season I'm working on a couple of things and on pitching analysis and ball pitches tracking and things like that I think it's going to be interesting because it's going to let me go a little beyond in, in, in or further in, in, in my analysis so I hope to be able to share that with everyone before the end of the year and Thank you guys for having me. I'm just extremely happy. This was really fun. And, and I can wait for 2023. There you go. That's our goal, right? It's just to yeah. drum up as much interest in the next baseball season <laughs> six months in advance as we possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. And we will we'll close out before the end of the Houston victory, but we'll all know what happened by the time you guys listen to this. But it does look like you're going to get an extra game, Kevin, in, to watch in Arizona as they tie up the series. That's going to wrap it up for episode 84 of On The Wire. We will be back every Sunday with more insights and analysis as the offseason trudges on. So please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. If you haven't already, we are still accepting pre-advanced signups to our listener leagues. The February draft has been very popular. The November one is just about full. Lots of openings in December, though. So pick all the ones you want. We get enough players. We'll get all the leagues going. We'll have more than we expected, and that will not be a problem. Once again, though, thank you to our guest, Carlos Marcano, for joining us. Follow him on the Twitter, at C.A. Marcano. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye.